live from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley. We are recording remotely here in Alexandria, Virginia. We're so glad that you've taken a few moments to join us this day. With me is our War Cry Editorial Director, Mr. Jeff McDonald. Hello, Jeff. Greetings, Colonel. Good to be with you. And, sir, good to be with you as well. Well, in today's podcast, we are we are really thrilled. And this is... Jeff, it's another special podcast. I can I can feel it in me bones. You oh, know? good. I'm glad to hear that. You know, it's all about synchronicity. It's all about that. And, oh, my old Irish bones are a-creaking today. But uh, <laughs> we're very, very excited because we are speaking with the author of a brand new book. Very, very unique title. I love the title of this book. Embracing Uncomfortable. Facing Our Fears While Pursuing Our Purposes. And with us today is Dr. Deb Gorton. Dr. Gorton, Dr. Deb, or Deb, welcome. Thank you. That was uh, such an encouraging and enthusiastic introduction. I am so excited to be here. Well, we, we're, we're really, really thrilled that you're here. I uh, just want to tell our listeners a little bit about about who you are. You've, you've got a long list of uh, degrees, but mostly it just sounds like you're, you're walking hand in hand with the Lord and just trying to do all that you can to help people in your life. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Um, that is, that is my, my biggest hope for my life is to do exactly what you just said, walking hand in hand with the Lord and being obedient to him. Um, I live in the great city of Chicago, very close to downtown. And I do walk a lot, which I talk about in the book. Um, my background is I have a PhD in clinical psychology. Before that, I used to wrangle celebrities at NBC studios, kind of random journey to get from one place to the other, but use a lot of the same skill sets, believe it or not. <laughs> and and um, now I oversee a master's in clinical mental health counseling and a counseling center at Moody Bible Institute Theological Seminary, um, also in the heart of downtown Chicago. And I wrote a book, and I'm quarantined still. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great. Is this your first book, right? This is my first book, solo, yes. That's that's wonderful. But we could probably do a whole podcast about all the celebrities that you wrangled at NBC. That would be very bad. <laughs> uh, for me, I I uh, you know been able to read halfway through your book, and uh, I I want to. I want to meet some of the people that you refer to in the book. You know, we have this uh, uh, bus driver, Betty, and then we have this gal that was in the line at a coffee shop while you're watching somebody make an incredible cup of tea and somebody behind you grumbling and you end up buying the grumbling person a, a hot cup, hot cocoa. You're the kind of person I, I think a lot of people just just benefit just hanging out with. I think uh, I think you uh, you've probably taken good good care of those celebrities and just the co us common folk as well. Well, we're, we're really here to, to talk uh, a little bit more specifically uh, about the ins and outs of your, your book. Now um, I, I just, I just have to tell you from, from the outset, 
uh, one of the things that I like about your book is you, you really, you really hit, um, you, you just hit the practical, you hit where people kind of are, are, are at. Tell us a little bit about the title of the book. Um, it's, it's, it's very embracing uncomfortable kind of is goes against the, the grain in, in our society today. Yeah. It's a little counterintuitive, isn't it? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, it, it's, it's, as you said, it's sort of a combination of experiences in my own life, um, working with clients, navigating relationships and realizing that, um, we all, I think, have within us uh, a set of core values and, and a basic understanding, even though it might be sort of uh, vague, but of what our purpose is. And yet, what I notice is most of us in our day-to-day kind of go about these very habitual decisions, um, and oftentimes in the little things especially, but also little things lead up to big things, we make these choices that are so much more about comfort than about living out what is most important to us. And kind of through uh, looking back on my own life choices, and I talk a lot about, you know, what what really started me on this journey, which was uh, tragically losing my mom to suicide um, about 12 years ago, and realizing that I had this kind of false identity of my role in my family of origin and that poured into, you know, how I interacted with others. And, and that incident in my own life really started to, to challenge my view of my identity. And, and I started to root out those, those lies that I had believed and, um, and get, and really got down to what I really believed about myself, like what, or what I wanted to believe about myself and living out who that person was, um, was challenging. It was really uncomfortable in a lot of ways. And as I started to do that and saw, you know, the things that my clients were bringing into counseling sessions and even friends that when we'd have deep conversations were wrestling with, the more I realized life in the day-to-day is so much more about this challenge of embracing uncomfortable. If we truly believe and in what my heart of hearts believes is, you know, valuing the the greater good of community, which kind of going back to your question really brings us to what we're navigating in our world today. Yeah, I really appreciate the vulnerability you bring to the book in, in revealing your own story. That's really, it reads kind of brave to me. I mean, and, and you were adopted, correct? I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you had that sense of what, um, of wanting to please those you who adopted you at the same time, fearing of being let go. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I have, I had, and I have an amazing adoptive family. And so they, I don't think they could have done anything more to really make me feel wanted and loved and constantly shared the story of choosing me. But there's something, especially as a psychologist who studies human behavior and the way that our brain reacts in relationships, I do think there's something about this attachment theory. Um, And I've seen a lot in adoptees, my brother and sister are adopted as well. And so I think there's sometimes this, you know, this underlying fear that we can't even pinpoint. I mean, I don't remember, I was an infant when I was adopted, so I don't remember a different family. But I, I just had this innate fear, always knowing that I was adopted, that that there's something I could do that would result in somebody, you know, saying, you know what, we don't want you. And so for me, it just became this kind of rooted lie of, 
uh, I better do whatever I can to kind of make sure there's no problems, not rocking the boat. And so I sort of internalized this identity of the fixer. Um, And it all kind of came to a head when I wasn't able to fix my mom. And when you're confronted, I think, with one of the biggest fears in your life, you either respond by letting that fear sort of swallow you whole um, or you say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this fear and really get to the root of what's motivating it. And for me, you know, by the grace of God, <laughs> and I talk about this story of being taken to a beach in the middle of winter and having sort of my 40-day desert experience, like God really started to pull out those lies in my life and challenge them. And so I could, I could see where I wasn't living in truth. Um, and, and it was a really hard, and still to this day, I mean, there are times where I fall back into that pattern and have to really take time to, to confront what choices I'm making out of this false identity of being the fixer, the problem solver. And of course, the irony being a psychologist, most people come to you with this idea that, hey, you can fix or help me problem solve what's going on in my life. So yeah, it's the thorn in my side, as Paul says. There's there's a there's a great connection there with the true and false self and in our own spiritual development, spiritual formation. Uh, I, I like what you you talk about, you know, the need for daily reflection in our life. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how how you go about creating space in order for you to be able to kind of tune into where you are at as in, in your own true identity and purpose? Yeah, that's a big point of surrender for me. Um, I, I have a pretty full schedule and I and I thrive on that. And it was actually a couple years ago I had an assistant, Barb, um, who kind of noticed I would I would pretty much go through autopilot in my day and also knew I was working on a book about this topic. And so she stealthily went into my calendar and wrote Jesus and emails <laughs> every day for an hour. And she goes, You need to do both and you need to pick what's the priority here. And that became a pattern for me, recognizing that my calendar does very much dictate my life. And hopefully it's correct, like on the right time zone. (laughs) Uh, Like it wasn't this morning when I was supposed to join you at 9 a.m. But so for me, it's, you know, it's, it's actually prioritizing what I say is most important. You know, so I, I say Jesus is the most important. Jesus is my number one value. But does my do my actions reflect that? And that's that core of embracing uncomfortable. Because, you know, I want to start off my day like out the door, check emails, get things on my to-do list done. Um, but I talk about in the book this principle of every decision we make involves a loss. And I would say most of us tend to approach decisions from a gain perspective. Like, what can I gain here? What do I want to gain here? We don't consider the loss frequently. And so as I shifted my mindset to thinking about what am I losing, it actually freed me up to say, okay, when I put on my calendar space to spend time in reflection, space to spend time with the Lord, there is a loss there. I'm having to let go of things that in my sinful selfishness, I want to control. And I may not get everything on my to-do list done. And I may disappoint people. But on the flip side, the loss is time with God, who is the core of my identity, who is the core motivator of everything that I do. And that's the loss I do not want to incur. 
And so for me, it's this, you know, decision to embrace the uncomfortable of losing those things that are actually not aligned with my values. And so I do spend that time reflecting every day, whether it's on my calendar or whether I use my smartphone and put it on, you know, my timer and it goes off at certain points throughout the day and I pause and it can be one minute, it can be five minutes, it can be an hour. Um, But for me, that's just a really critical loss I don't want to incur. Before we get too much further into this, I'm just curious, do you have, did you have somebody, a, a particular audience in mind when you wrote the book? Who do you think this book is, uh, is for? You know, it's interesting. Um, from a marketing perspective, your publisher, anybody that works in publicity would say, you want your niche market <laughs> in yeah. order to sell something. And when I first started writing the book, I'm, I'm big on community. And so I invited a lot of people into this process with me to share their story. And um, and I was really surprised by how broad um, an audience this was applicable to. And it's not, you know, if you read the book... It's not explicitly Christian. I don't reference a lot of scripture. And some people might find that off-putting. But for me, I didn't want that to be a barrier to people getting the message of the book, which I believe is really rooted in biblical truth. But I know for some people, just the word Christian or Bible or scripture is going to be an immediate stop sign. Um, And so I think it's really for anybody. I mean, it's an it's definitely an older audience, not a young adult book. It's not for kids, but for anybody that really wants to live congruent with what's most important to them, I think they can take principles in this book and and find it um, broadly applicable. Hmm. You know, I, I remember playing baseball, and uh, we were you know there was the game we were in was kind of slow moving, and all of a sudden, a, a, someone from the stand yelled out come on, come alive, you mannequins. And we looked at each other and said, yeah, I guess we are acting like mannequins. Um, So the point being that you focus on the importance of being intentional in defining core values and uh, the life purposes. Can you explain how a person can begin on the path to that intentionality? Yeah. It's, it's interesting as a psychologist, I, um, I kind of see myself as a field studier wherever I go. I'm always watching people. And, you know, there's kind of the the joke that you meet somebody new, you say you're a psychologist and they're like, oh, are you analyzing me right now? <laughs> and while I'm not in the way they think I am, I am always kind of watching how people behave. Uh, and I noticed this, this thing when I would ask people what their values were. You know, because I think we all we all have this sense that we have values, but when it comes to actually knowing what those values are, most people can't just kind of go pop, pop, pop. These are my values. They're like, well, I value this, I value this, um, and and that is actually the starting point. It's asking the question, what are my values, and seeing what comes to mind. You know, like how do you spend your time? Who are the people that are most important to you? What are the memories that you hold on to? Um, throughout your lifetime. And those things can start to inform, you know, where where you're sort of drawn to. And I think in, in this time, I mean, we were just talking, right? And there's been a lot of articles written on how this time in particular is really highlighting what we value most, um, the things that we are not willing to sacrifice in the midst of, you know, chaos and uncertainty and all these other things. And so, um, I believe it, it really is a timely exercise of, of sorting out those elements in our life that are most important and then kind of sitting with them over a period of time. And ultimately, 
whittling down those into, you know, I try to say you don't want more than like about five core values, which for some people is very uncomfortable. But you think about like kind of what's the broader application of these values. So I mentioned my number one value is Jesus, but my number two is relationship. And so for me, relationship isn't just family, but it is also family. So it's my relationship with my coworkers, my relationship with my friends, my family, my relationship with that lady in line behind me at the coffee shop. And and as we have those clearly defined values, then we can start to kind of filter our decision-making through that sieve um, and see how the choices we make every day are aligning with or going against what's most important to us. You talk in one part of your book where you feel like we're called to listen. And you said, uh, with the goal of understanding and being non-judgmental and being non-judgmentally present with each person, but not fixing them. You know, we're hearing an awful lot of time talk now about, you know, just listen to me, listen to me. And, and, I, I, you know, in social media, we end up talking over each other. I, I've, I've noticed that. How does how does somebody get to a place where they really start to tap into listening to other people? Yeah, this is for me personally, where I absolutely cannot separate my faith from the from the application of this book, and and that's because I think the core of it is where my identity lies. So when people go into a conversation, at least in what I've experienced with this, I want, I'm going to listen to make a point. So they're not really going in to listen to understand. They're going, they're listening to, to make their argument stronger um, or to refute the other person. And I think at its core, that's because who they are is founded on something that's like quicksand. It's either you have to agree with me in order for me to be valid as a human being, or you have to see my point, or you have to validate my existence on some level. And for me, I I know my, my identity starts and stops with being made in the image of God. That's it. Nobody can take that away from me. Nobody can influence that, change it, minimize it. It is rock solid. And so that frees me up to go into any conversation to really listen and hear the heart of the person sharing with me. And that doesn't mean I have to agree with them. And I think that's another thing that we've sort of lost the art of doing these days is being in relationship with people we disagree with. And, you know, I think there's this concept of validation that we've also neglected significantly. And I can go into conversation with anybody, no matter what they believe. It can be vastly different from what I believe and still validate their experience and their belief system. Validation and agreement are two totally different things. Validation is saying, I hear you. I recognize where you're coming from. I see the experiences you've had that have shaped who you are today. And being known at our core is is one of the most important things to us. I mean, it's in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's what Brene Brown talks about and the power of vulnerability. Um, and I think that idea of listening to really understand when we don't when it doesn't inform or impact our identity is is huge. I think that's kind of the foundation for a relationship that is so critical in our society today. Yeah, there's so much here that we can talk about. Um, I just want to cite one passage from your book that is uh, pertinent to the to the mo- this moment in our country. Um, 
with our concerns about racism and how to overcome it, you write, so I think it's time for us to be comfortable with the uncomfortable conversation about race, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, all of us, if we truly believe in equal rights and equal opportunity in America. I think we have to have a real conversations about this issue. Um, could you speak a little about, about that? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, this is a really personal experience. Um, and I share this and I always hesitate, I guess I hesitate to share this cause I don't at all want it to sound like I'm, I'm highlighting myself here, but I think in going along with the book, just to share that I apply the principles in my book to myself first and foremost, um, this story I think resonates with that. So the majority of people in my community and and the people that have endorsed this book that are that are dear friends of mine are people of color, and you know I met with my 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 team my my publish, publish publicity team um, last fall and we talked through this whole strategy for for marketing the book, and you know then comes COVID nineteen and we're thinking okay well I'm not going out I'm not doing speaking engagements we got to rethink the whole strategy. For, for marketing this book. And so we came up with the social media strategy and everything became virtual and online. And then the week the book comes out is right after um, the death, the tragic murder of, of George Floyd and the protests that were happening in our country. And immediately, you know, I saw friends of mine uh, taking to social media to really share their heart and, and their passion and the need for systemic change in our country. And somebody had posted, you know, for those of you marketing workshops or, and they had actually put in there marketing a book, would you consider holding off right now? Because now is the time for a different voice to be heard. And my immediate reaction was absolutely that needs to be me. This is not the time for me to market my book and and to be pushing it on social media because my brothers and sisters of color, particularly in the black community, need to have their voices heard right now. And, you know, I would be lying if I were to say that wasn't uncomfortable. I felt like I was letting my publishing company down. I felt like I was letting the book down. And yet at the core, this is the time for me to listen. And I'm still wrestling through what that looks like right now. Um, but it's, you know, it's this need to really stop and to say, okay, historically, there is a group, a, a significant group of people in our country who have not been given the opportunity to have their voice heard, to be treated equally, um, to be given the same opportunity. And in order for us to get to that point, it's going to take us in the majority white culture, white race, to stop and to say, I'm advocating for my brothers and sisters who have not received the same opportunities I have. And that also means I need to make sacrifices in order to level the playing field. Well, so you, uh, we, we really um, were struck by your emphasis on the importance of community in achieving a sense of purpose. Um, why is uh, community so important in this uh, kind of self-development that you outline? Because none of us function in a silo. We're all in relationship in some form or another, and relationship influences us. And I believe relationship should impact the way we make decisions. You know, I, I don't think, and I, I write about this in the book, I don't think that anybody at their core would say, my most important, my deepest values are all about me, right? I think most people would say what I value is kind of 
on a broad sense, contributing to the greater good. But do our daily decisions actually reflect that? Do you put your money where your mouth is, so to speak? And, you know, when when I look back on, like I said, writing the book, when I look back on even just my life, knowing who I am, who God designed me to be, is something that's reflected in the people around me. You know, the people that know me most um, and who I'm in relationship with that challenge me, that support me, that encourage me, they've really shaped me into the person that I am today. And that does include my immediate family and close friends. Um, and it's imperative, you know, one of the only biblical references that I have, the explicit biblical references that I have in the book is a king in the Old Testament who was making um, huge policy decisions and consulting first people that were wise and thought maybe differently or on different life experiences than he had. And he didn't like their wisdom, which was very wise. (laughs) And he went to his friends who were all the same age, same group, same probably thought process. And their influence on his decision-making resulted in significant turmoil for his kingdom. Um, And so, you know, for me, it's this idea of when we have diverse uh, voices and people speaking into our lives that are a part of our community, we begin to see community for what it truly is. And we begin to advocate for that community versus just the community that looks, thinks, and acts like us. Yeah. So you you make the point that you we need to intentionally find people who resonate with our core values. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um I was I did a podcast a number of years ago on the idea of codependency. And I kind of probably threw the host for a loop when I said, you know, I, and this is based on my community that is again a very diverse community of people and the way that they grew up represents different cultural backgrounds and um and different values based on on those cultural experiences. And I in the middle of the podcast I said, you know, I kind of think that codependency is a very white majority culture terminology. And the podcast host kind of looked at me like, oh, this isn't at all where I was expecting we'd go. But, you know, I I see uh, my brothers and sisters in more collectivistic cultures. And for them, family and relationship is a part of why they thrive. And it's extended throughout their lifespan with you know, siblings living with parents or parents returning home to live with siblings. And um, anyway, you know, I think going back to just your point, it's, it really is important to, yes, have community that has similar values, but has a diverse approach to those values and does cause you to question, why do I value this? And is it playing out in my life in a healthy, and again, for me, biblical way? You talk about the the important thing is to have truth tellers in your life. In other words, I think what you're referring to is to surround yourself with people who aren't going to just sugar sugarcoat things. And it sounds like that that's kind of what you have uh, going on in your own network. Yeah, and that you know that kind of goes back to that principle of listening to understand. You know, we want to listen to understand people's experiences and perspectives, but I also want to listen to understand the truth tellers in my life when they are challenging me or pointing out areas of my life that might be hurtful or harmful to others. And that takes, that takes, you know, again, intentionality. It's not always, well, it's probably never comfortable to hear people share things um, about your life and your choices that, that, that are unhealthy. 
Well, yeah, there's so much here. I mean, certainly uh, your message resonates with the Salvation Army in that the Army stresses the importance of others, serving others, you know, putting into effect the golden rule of treating others as you yourself would like to be treated. Um, so you also point out in your book, and, and you, you're very uh, candid, that this process is not easy. And I, hey, by the way, I appreciate your your uh, dissertation on, on failure, that you are not a failure if you fail. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. But um, what deters us from truly understanding ourselves and identifying our core values? I think a big part of that is time. Yeah. You know, when I pitched this book, I actually took the publishing team through the process that I sort of went through in understanding um, where I was avoiding discomfort. And I said, I want you to pick one thing, one decision in your life that you have been wanting to pursue um, that would really transform an area of your life. So whether it's enhancing your relationship with your spouse or um, developing new relationship with your body through health and wellness, things like that. Uh, and they all wrote down one thing. And then I said, now I want you to go back and I want you to write down all the reasons why you haven't been able to um, make that decision or actually activate that choice. And, um, and so they did that. And then I said, now I want you to go through and I want you to cross out everything on the list that represents an impossibility. And I gave the example of like, let's say you want to enhance communication with your spouse and your spouse has already left you. They've moved overseas to a remote village where there's no cell phone access and they have literally no line of communication anymore. That would represent an impossibility. And, um, and I said, here's the caveat. Not enough time is not an impossibility. And they all looked at me. I kid you not. Every single one of them looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> yes, it is. But that's, I think, really, truly at the heart of why we don't make this time, we make this choice in our life to evaluate and, and to reflect on what's most important to us is we, we just literally put it at the bottom of the to-do list and we see all these other things as, as more important. But at the end of the day, this is the foundation of every decision we make. So again, if we're not willing to incur the loss of saying no to something else, we're going to keep repeating this pattern of, you know, what I refer to as incongruence in our decision making that ultimately leads to a lot more long term discomfort than the momentary temporary discomfort of saying no to really root out and determine what is most important to us to then shape our decision making for the future. Well, Doctor, we really thank you for taking a few moments. And uh, we're, we're honored that that we're part of your uh, book tour. Uh, in a way, uh, <laughs> yes. in the in the COVID nineteen thing, uh, which we know we're all going to be um, coming out of here very very soon, and we wish you all the best um, with this book. Uh, it it has incredibly wonderful principles that are easy to apply uh, in one person's life. Is there any other uh, closing comments that you might want to share with our listeners about your book? The only thing I would say that I'd love for people to know is that this book is meant to be a process and the way I've written it is so that you hopefully feel like I'm sitting with you enjoying a cup of coffee and being part of your community in this experience because it is really difficult to do alone. And so I want to encourage and support my readers. I've created a whole network, embracinguncomfortable.com, where I come alongside you as much as I'm able to and support you in this process and others as well. So really do seek this out in community and take your time in going through the experience. 
So we want to encourage our listeners to give this book uh, uh, a read. You can easily find it wherever you find your books these days. Embracing the Uncomfortable, written by Dr. Deborah Gorton. It's on Northfield Publishing out of Chicago. It's I just was looking it up. It's available right now for download on Kindle or sent to your house through Amazon and other ways. So again, uh, Dr. Gorton, thank you. We wish you all the best in the future and with your, your uh, service to, to people uh, and, and encouraging. And we hope that this uh, book uh, finds its way into, in, into the souls and lives of many people. Thanks so much. Well, that's going to end this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. We thank you for taking a few moments from your day to give us a listen once again. We encourage you to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we also encourage you not to forget to follow The War Cry and Peer Magazine on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And until we are able to meet again, we thank you for listening and God bless you. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.